So welcome back into week eight of the Backroads podcast here on Texas 1A Fan. I'm Craig Spree with the Happy Sports Network, PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown, Texas 1A Fan. So this week, when you look at week eight, uh, a lot of the top 10 teams really doing damage against their opponent. We had a great game between Ira and Rotan, St. Joe and Groom, Richland Springs and Cherokee. We're going to get to all of that. But first, we always have an interview. And uh, that interview today is a guy who we always refer to as the guy can just coach. It doesn't matter what the sport is. Uh, as far as I know, he may be a, a champion chess player. And that is the head coach up at Follett, Andy Copley. Coach, welcome in. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. So your, your Panthers ranked number four in the state. Just talk about your team's play so far this year. Yeah, we're, we've been pleased with the way we've played. Um, we understand, you know, D2 is, is a different animal, and, and that's a good thing for us. But uh, we think our kids have been playing well. They've, uh, you know, we've not turned the ball over. We've scored most of our possessions, and, and uh, we've taken the ball away. Uh, you know, just tried to play physical and, and tried to play downhill, and, and uh, all that's worked out for us so far. So when, when you look at your ball club, everybody wants to talk about Shane Franks, the bruising running back who does a great job for you guys. But I know there's more there than just Shane Franks. Talk about some of the other guys on your team that have helped uh, lead the Panthers uh, to this undefeated season. Yeah, definitely. You know, our, our, we have a sophomore. Shane's a junior. Uh, our sophomore running back is OCL Ventura. He's had a breakout season. Shane missed a game a, a week or so ago, and, and OCL had, you know, five touchdowns. And, and uh, he's just getting, you know, better every day. Uh, quarterback Jaden Watson, he's also a junior. He's playing better. He's blocking better. He's getting, you know, downhill into the hole uh, much better. And he's completing a few passes. Uh, Oscar Torres is a, is a junior kid that's missed the last two years with injuries. And he, he's really an excellent player that no one knows about, uh, really on both sides of the ball. But he's he's got a high motor on, on defense and he flies around. And Gavin Welch uh, is another senior center defensive end who, who plays good football for us. Uh, Ethan Gregory, he's our other senior. We have two this year, and Ethan's been out for about you know, since, you know, the White Deer game since week two. He, he returned uh, on Thursday, but he's been out you know, four or five weeks with a bad arm, uh, dislocated his elbow. Junior Humbert is a sophomore kid who's playing good force as well. Uh, on the line, you know, maybe leaving some kids out. Rodney Williamson is a freshman kid who stepped up for us. Uh, David Meeks Jr. is another freshman kid who's getting quality. Uh, time for us. Um, those are the main kids that we've been playing. We have 15 kids on the roster this year up, you know, up a little bit, but uh, Shane definitely has help. And, and when, when he's been out and when Ethan's been out, other kids have stepped up and, and uh, really have gotten the job done for us and have gotten quality minutes. Uh, Brian Aguilar is another sophomore kid who gets quality minutes on the line for us as well. Shane is definitely our, our player that most coaches will point toward having to stop, but he does have a little bit of help around him. Well, Coach, it's always nice to have a little help around you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So whenever we talk about Follett, we talk about time management. How do you get your kids to buy into that? Or is it just something that you teach from the get-go? We just think we have to do whatever we, we, we need to to have success on that that night. And, and uh, you know, if it's running the clock down and playing slow and shortening the game, then, then our kids are, are just – you know, they bought, they bought into whatever it takes to try to try to win the game. And if that's, if that's slowing down a little bit, that's okay. Uh, many times we, we don't have to, have to worry about it, but we'll get, we'll get to the point where we do. Uh, but I think just having success doing that is it makes it an easy sell to our kids. Every time I think about 
you know, when I go watch Follett, I know that there's going to be excellent time management. Well, we, we take, we take pride in it and uh, we hope we do. We, we screw up like everyone else at times, but you know, our kids, we, they're not afraid to, to run the ball and, and to, to work hard on imposing our will and, and playing ugly. Coach, you're somebody who's won uh, multiple championships on the basketball side. Now you're coaching six-man football. How big of a change was that for you, and how much of what you did in basketball, uh, maybe from a coaching side, were you able to bring into six-man football? Yeah, I think if you played, you know, all spread and, and, and you know, took away structure and allowed the kids to make their own plays, I think that that's more into, you know, fast-break football. But it seems like, to me, the way we play, um, it's not – uh, it's not completely, you know, the same as basketball, but, you know, we gave our kids a lot of, of, of freedom. We gave Cameron and his teammates a lot of freedom in basketball to make the right play at the right time. Uh, and we allowed them to press some and run as they, as they, as they needed to or felt like they, they needed to. Uh, I don't think there's a direct correlation in the styles that we play because we've never been a, you know, slow it down and, and run the clock basketball type team or haven't been in a long time. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. You know, you hear that, you know, six-man football and basketball go hand-in-hand, hand, but I don't necessarily think that's the case if we if you play the style that we play. But uh, as long as, you know, that what we want to get out of both sports is just, you know, success. Uh, and uh, us having success on the basketball court, I think, does carry over to, to football and in our family and our lives. But uh, I don't know about, you know, a lot of correlation as far as style of play and, and things like that, like some people do. Okay, so this next week you have Derzette. And then you have Miami. How are you going to prepare for Miami? It seems like you two will probably come out pretty well in that district. Yes, we, uh, Miami's a team that they're young also, as we are, uh, they're getting better uh, every week. They, they, they really went through a stretch where they were trying to figure out who they were. I think they figured that out. Uh, they're a spread team and uh, about 90 plus percent, they're, they're spreading the thing out and letting you know, they're, they're spread back and make decisions and, and he's made a lot of good decisions. And uh, so our plan hopefully is to do our best to contain him somewhat, but more than that, it's probably to score when we have the ball, you know, eight at a time and, and control the clock, keep him off the field a little bit, but do our best to score when we have it, knowing that they're going to make a few plays on offense. And then when we look forward to the playoffs, uh, you're liable to face teams like Anton, uh, Whit Harrell, Klondike. How do you get your players ready for that as, as you get through district and, and look forward uh, to the playoffs? As, as people are predicting uh, Follett to potentially be the winner coming out of Region 1. Well, I, I think all of us teams that, that are uh, on top have the same struggle with, uh, you know, the kids not playing a lot during district and having a lot of lopsided games. But, uh, you know, you begin really during the summer. Uh, you know, for us getting ready for week, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. And, and uh, we know who it's going to be. And, and uh, well, we, we have good guesses anyway. You know, we're gonna, we'll get the loser of Groom and, and, and Will Dorado week one. And then we're going to get Anton week two. And then week three, it's going to be either Groom, Woodhero, or Klondike, one of those three. And then Motley County, and then Strong. Uh, we feel pretty confident about those, those matchups. Uh, you know, Anton has an excellent team. And you know, we beat them by one point last year. And we, since that game last year, have looked forward to a rematch, uh, as they are looking forward to it, supposedly. 
Uh, we're excited about the playoffs. You know, our goal is to win playoff games, and uh, it's getting closer to that time. But we know we have to beat Miami, and we have to, you know, beat Headley, uh, who has, you know, seven and one now, or six and one, whatever they are. But it's a good record. Uh, we have to win those games, and then we have to 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 win by district and and get to an excellent uh, and uh, team as they were last year, who uh, who've been pointing toward this game for for three sixty five as well. I bet they have. They have, but I'll, I'll go on record saying we we are as well. I mean, it's going to be a great matchup, and they're very physical. They're strong. They're good. You know, Coach Hoover and, and his staff did an excellent job, and, and it should be another really good game in Week 12, so long as both of us you know, take care of business and, and get there. The winner of that game could win a couple, you know, could win the next week and, and set up a nice matchup with, with Motley. You know, Whit Harrell and, and Ann. You know, they could meet again week three of the playoffs for sure if us and Groom and Pondack don't knock one of them off. It's a good district. Two good football teams right there. Yeah, that, I was at that game between Ann and Whitherell, and you're right, two really good teams. I, I think Whitherell is one of those teams that plays a little above their talent, and Anton has got so much talent. And uh, Coach Lemon does a good job in Whitherell, and so so does Coach Hoover and Anton. So two good teams there. Let me ask you, so earlier this season you guys played Will Dorado, and your son Connor was on the sidelines as an assistant coach. How is that dynamic? How, how does that play out on the sideline when you're having to coach against one of your own children? It's tough. I mean, it's probably tougher for, for you know Mama Jamie than, than it is me. But it, it it is difficult because I want him to have success and I want him to stay healthy mostly, uh, and I want him to win a ton of games on the basketball court. You know, after the game, of course, he just says, "Let's hit, let's go to court now." I'm like, "No." So, you know, he has a really good basketball team. Uh, it should be better this year. And, and uh, we're a little better in football. And he's a little better in basketball. And we'll just we kind of leave it at that. <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome. Little little family there going at it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, we're just glad he's at a good place and is working with good people and, and you know, have, have good kids where, you know, where they can have some success as well. But they have a chance to be – eight and two or, you know, nine and one at the end of the year going into the playoffs. So we're excited about that. Definitely. And then let me ask you about your other son and Cameron, you know, this is a kid who, when you look at him playing at the D two level, he almost doesn't fit the size and strength of everybody else out there. Yet he gives everything he's got leads uh, the, the conference. In fact, he may have set a conference record for charges. Is that something he got from, from you coach? He, he, he developed that that desire years and years ago, he actually led the nation in charge. Actually, he actually broke the national record for charges drawn. But, um, you know, years ago, he started taking charges. I mean, as a, as a tyke and, uh, has really just developed a great skill and timing of it. And, and, and a no fear, you know, or, or care for his body and his body knows that as well. But, you know, years ago, he, he was drawing charges before, you know, kids his age understand what that thing means. And, you know, we'd be walking down the, the aisle in, in, in a grocery store. And if you turn your head, I'm talking about as a three, you know, you know three, four, five year old, you know, you're walking down the aisle and you turn your head and keep on walking. The kid's going to draw a charge on you in the aisle right there. You know, he's you knocking down and he's on the ground looking up with his hand behind his head, you know, pointing that direction. And we're like, dude, cut it out before you hurt somebody. <laughs> but he started doing that a long time ago and he became a good player in football and basketball. And, you know, in other sports, and it's just been a lot of fun to watch both those kids grow up and play and compete and, and have the successes that they're having. And Cameron's been all all Lone Star Conference the last couple of years, 
and he has a little booty point guard on a, on a good team. And, and this year they have a chance to have an outstanding team and um, they're fixed to be picked to win the Lone Star Conference again. We, we won the regular season Lone Star Conference last year, but WT won the conference tournament uh, and the region. We should have some great competition, but should be picked to win to win it this year. We're excited about that. And along those same lines, I want to ask you about coaching your kids because you've done that. Your kids are now out. You're not having to coach them anymore. How difficult was that, or or is that a, a an easy process? Well, that's when I started winning. I started playing. My kids started playing for me. I became a lot better coach. <laughs> uh, doing the same things we've always done, but doing it just with a lot higher level of skill. But for us and our family, it was just you know a blast. But no, we understand that everyone has the you know the timing and, and the teammates that we've had you know, in the Water Valley and in, in Canadian. Like Cameron says, he he was put on great teams, had good coaches, and put on great teams, and and was set up for success. And he he said that over and over. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. His teammates have been really good. His teammates at Water Valley were outstanding. You know, and I don't know if you guys got to see those guys play, but you know, we came up here and played Panhandle and Wellington when they were really good in that part, playoff preview and beat them both. And, and then we, you know, we thought we'd play Texline that year, but they got knocked off by Nazareth. And then we, you know, we beat up Nazareth pretty good in the state tournament. We're up 35 10 on Nazareth at halftime. Uh, you know, that's always fun. I, started yeah. to say, I was at that Water Valley Nazareth game, and I, beating up would be that would be the nice way to put it, coach, because that was all Water Valley in that ball game. You know, and that's the second time we played them that year, but we'd become healthy. You know, we beat them by 11 uh, in the Demet tournament. We came up here. We have a lot of family up here, so we tried to get up here and play. But we beat them 11 in the regular season and then in the state tournament, you know, we're up pretty big. The score winds up being closer uh, than the game might have been. But uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, Cameron's a freshman and Connor's a senior that year and mom's on the bench and, you know, grandparents are behind the bench. And it was just a – it was a pretty sweet ending to uh, Connor's high school career. We joined Canadian and, you know, a bunch of good kids and good parents and, you know, just continue to set the success. And it was, it was a ton of fun. And so coaching my kids was – was unbelievably positive, uh, but we also understand that it's not always that way with your kids. But for us, it was it was a really really good thing. But it's not always that way. We understand. I've asked, I've been asked many times, how is it? Would you? The answer is easy. Absolutely. I I've, I've encouraged all the coaches I've talked to uh, to coach their kids, but but not take a lot of it home uh, either. It can be a really negative thing for sure. Just think, next up, grandchildren. Yeah, it's we're ready. We're not too ready, but we're ready. <laughs> we want marriages first, but, uh, you know, I have two single boys, but uh, we, we can't wait for grandkids. Let me tell you, they're a whole lot of fun. Absolutely. We have no doubt about that. <laughs> we're anxious, but we're being patient. So, uh, Coach, we appreciate every, uh, jumping on with us here on a Sunday afternoon, making the time, and uh, best of luck to the Fallhead Panthers. Uh, I feel like I see you all the time, so uh, good luck to your Panthers, and uh, we will see you hopefully deep in the playoffs. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Coach. So, Bobby, always great to catch up with Coach Andy Copley up at Fallhead. The Panthers, we talked about, ranked fourth in the state. This guy's got multiple state championships in basketball and has just switched over to football like, eh, no big deal. Oh, I know. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but there are a lot of coaches out there who wish they could do that. Just just switch over. It's, you know, we'll just go win this championship. 
No, but he's had a lot of success and he brought that success definitely to Follette because they are just playing like gangbusters this year they and are. every year to, to be truthful. I mean, every year they play very well. They do. And, and I think it goes to the point of if a coach can coach, he can coach. If he's a winning coach, it, it probably doesn't matter which sport it is. They're going to have success. So I agree totally. And, you know, we've seen that over and over again, especially in six-man ranks. Most definitely. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll start in Division One, And when we talk about both Division One and Division II, uh, so many of the, uh, the big boys, as we like to call them, the heavyweights, just they owned their opponent this week. And we saw a lot of that. And it starts in Division One, May all over, all over Santa Ana, 58 to nothing. Avery Williford, uh, three carries, 63 yards, and a touchdown. Had seven tackles and a blocked punt. Blake Harrell, three carries, 53 yards, and two scores. Brandon Braden Steele, uh, two carries, 49 yards, and a touchdown. He also threw a 14-yard touchdown pass. And Cason King for May, th- uh, four tackles, three fumble recoveries. That's hard to do. And one for a scoop and score. So May uh, just you know doing whatever they need to do against the Mountaineers there in a victory. Yes, and uh, poor Santa Ana, you know, they started out really, really well this season. And over the last, I think, two weeks, they've lost several starters. I think they're down five starters now. Wow. And that can is- you imagine having to, to face the May Tigers without five of your starters? And I know another um, one of their starters went down in the first quarter of that game and our thoughts go out to him. I, I believe he has a broken arm. So, you know, it's never good when that happens. No, it's not. And May's playing so well right now. Just they are scary there in Region 4. And well, you just you start looking forward to the playoffs, and there are going to be some absolute battles as we get into Region 4 uh, there in Division 1. Uh, and speaking of Region 4, Division 1, the number two Water Valley Wildcats, no problem with Verabest, the Falcons there. Verabest ran 27 plays, get this, 27 plays, a negative 30 yards of total offense. Just dominant there by the Water Valley defense. I can't imagine that defense. <laughs> doing doing so well. Uh, number three, Sterling City, they just keep marching right along. They're kind of quiet. You know, it's kind of funny, but uh, they just keep marching right along. They defeat uh, Highland 62 to 8. Kate Elliott, uh, two carries, 55 yards, and two touchdowns. Cass Johnson, three carries, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Raul Sanchez with eight tackles. Four Highland Creek tourney, eight carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. And Quay Lloyd, four and a half, four and a half tackles and two tackles for loss. Sterling City getting ready for that big matchup next week against Westbrook. Number four, Jonesboro. Coach Gallegos just keep marching right along. They defeated uh, Evant, the Elks, 70 to eight. And then the fifth-ranked Rankin Red Devils in a non-district game, kind of unusual this late in the season, but they took on the Lubbock Homeschool Titans, and uh, they win that one 66-8. Uh, stop me if you've ever heard of Braxton Kirkland before. 167 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. Also 80 yards passing and a touchdown. Uh, Richie Escajito catching one of those uh, 43 yards for a touchdown reception. Number six, Spring Lake Earth. You know, uh, this is a team that's really interesting with Spring Lake Earth. They haven't played in forever. It's what it seems like. It feels like that, but it's only been like two weeks. I believe their last two games have been forfeited. Is that correct? That that would be correct. They were uh, set to play Kroll. Weather took care of that one. Then they had a uh, forfeit against Lorenzo. The Hornets have forfeited the rest of the season. So they pick up the victory there. And I got to think Coach DeLeon is just itching to get back on the field. 
oh, can you imagine being in the middle of the season and all of a sudden you you lose two weeks um, and to different different kinds of things. So that's I have a feeling. Let's see. Don't, don't they play Nazareth this next week? No, not Nazareth. They get Petersburg this week and Nazareth next week. So pretty sure that they're going to take care of Petersburg pretty handily. But again, with Nazareth, you never know who you're going to get. So <laughs> that is true. Uh, number eight, the Garden City Bearcats. Uh, and I tell you what, ever since Coach Jones came on, they have just really ramped it up, playing really well. They defeat the uh, Shorthorns of Marfa 58 to nothing. They held Marfa to 37 total yards offense on the night. Logan Seidenberger, four of six, 136 yards and four touchdowns. John Lopez, one reception for 67 yards, took that one to the house. Sebastian Balcazar, two carries, 57 yards and a touchdown. But what we want to talk about is the big man, the center, Owen Seidenberger. One reception, 44 yards and a touchdown, and not one, not two, but I believe it was three hurdled defenders on the way. That is correct. Oh, they, I think they call him Big O. Big O was on target the whole night. I mean, he was blocking, he was headhunting, tackling, and then somehow the center got a hold of the ball and he saw the goal line over half a field away. And I, you could see it on his face. He's like, I'm going to get there. And he hurdled, (laughs) he hurdled Marfa quarterback. He hurdled another kid. And it was, it was really like, three hurdles set up on a track because he'd hurdle, he'd come down, he'd take a step, he'd hurdle. And he did that three times in a row. I actually got a picture of him, right? He's on the 10 yard line trying to get to the end zone and he's looking back and the look on his face is priceless. It's like, are they coming again? (laughs) Oh, but he made it in and everybody was so excited for big O and he actually earned the Texas 1A fan helmet sticker because he was on point that whole game. And he's only a junior. Oh, that, that's an awesome story. So Big O with three hurdles. Oh, and 44 yards and a touchdown on that reception. So Definitely. A great job there. The Bearcats, uh, uh, they are not to be played around with this year. They are uh, playing well right now. Marfa, though, I have to say, Marfa did not give up. And they played. they played together. They did not give up. I mean, the quarterback number six, oh, he was, he was really, really fast, but Garden City got through their line pretty quickly to get to him. But when they didn't, they could give it to number 13, Adrian Catano. I have never, you know, I'm always looking at uh, the feet of players. And I know that sounds really weird, but the feet as in, do they keep moving? You know how you keep, you know, if you're good running back, you keep moving your feet. Adrian Catano never stopped moving his feet ever until he was completely down on the ground. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen a kid do that before. I was extremely impressed with him. That is impressive. And then let's round out uh, the top 10 in division one with what was the best game of the top 10 teams. The Ira Bulldogs home, hang on to beat the Rotan. One of my favorite mascots here, the yellow hammers uh, and coach means they're 52 the 38, uh, the Bulldogs, Cody McCowan, 31 carries, 340 yards, three touchdowns, six and a half tackles, and Ike Weaver, six carries, uh, 27 yards, and two scores. 
for the Yellow Hammers. Grayson Jeffrey, 7-11 through the air and 65 yards. Also had 71 yards on the ground and a 29-yard receiving touchdown. And Zach Flores, uh, 5 of 13, 55 yards and a score there for Rotan. Ira looking good. Coach Goodwin got him playing uh, hard again. No surprise there. And uh, they take out Rotan 52-38. to I bet that was a really good game. I didn't expect it to be that close, but, you know, Rotan is surprising some people. Next year, in the, I mean, that district, that district's a tough one. I mean, you got Roby, Rotan, Ira, Hermley, and Hermley goes to Rotan next, this next Friday. So that's going to be a good matchup. That will be a good matchup there. So now let's move down to Division Two, and at the top, no problem for uh, some of the top teams there. The Motley County Matadors, man, they are playing well. They've uh, yielded less than 100 points all season long while scoring over 500. The Matadors win over Patton Springs 66 to nothing. Number two, the Strong Greyhounds and Coach Lee. Uh, they're victorious over three-way 54 to seven. And Motley County's playing so well. Sometimes I think Strong gets lost and Coach Lee says, I can I can just see him saying, that's fine. You can forget about us, but uh, I promise you, you won't forget about us on a football field. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what's happening there. And then Anton, number five in the state, no problem with Cotton Center, 51 to six. Going on to the sixth ranked Whit Harrell Panthers, and they were in a good game here uh, with the Amherst Bulldogs. They're victorious in this one, 62 to 54. Shamadric Weaver, and we talked about him last week against Whit Harrell. 14 carries, 154 yards and a touchdown, 238 yards through the air and another five scores. The freshman, Jack Griffin, 103 yards uh, receiving and a touchdown, also threw a touchdown in this ballgame. And the little guy I talked about, Nomar Gomez, seven and a half tackles against Amherst. I went back and looked. He had 13 tackles in that game against Anton. And just a little guy up front, but boy, he does some good work. And then for the Bulldogs, Sergio Gonzalez, 21 carries, 176 yards, and two touchdowns. That surprised me. I, I had heard, I have not talked to anybody, but I heard that that final touchdown was scored within like the last minute for wow. them to win. Uh, the seventh ranked Balmeray Bears and Coach Jones. God, they're just so quiet at number seven, which is hard to believe with the Vance Jones team. But the Bears victorious over Grand Falls Royalty 52 to six. Tomas Contreras, seven carries, 75 yards, and three touchdowns. Also had a 24-yard passing touchdown. Andrew Laramore, 95 yards through the air and two scores. And Alex Mata, uh, three receptions for 95 yards and two scores. And for Grand Falls Royalty, they were led by Christopher Miller. Ten carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown. We haven't talked about Balmeray in, in a few weeks. Vance Jones, I know for a fact he uses stuff for, for motivation. So maybe he's using that for motivation. Um, I have heard that he likes to get other people to get these social social media things. You know, anytime anyone says anything bad about Balmeray and he'll print them out and he will put them on the board in their dressing room, which is actually pretty smart because obviously it motivates the Bears. I'm kind of excited. I'm going to go watch the Bears in two weeks on Halloween weekend in Balmeray when they played Dell City. Figured it was time to go see Dell City. They haven't had a football team in a while, so we'll see how that goes. Most definitely. Moving down to a game that you were at on Saturday. Yes, a Saturday game between St. Joe out of Region 3, a Division One team taking on the 8th ranked Groom Tigers. And St. Joe is... That's a team that I don't think people realize how good they were. And as we were pre previewing this game on Press Pass Sports this week, I tried to tell people St. Joe's is for real, and they are victorious in this ballgame, 62-48. to 48. 
Logan Bonner. That's a name we haven't talked about before. 27 carries, 205 yards, and five touchdowns. I know you got more on him in just a minute. Matthew Butler, Everson, 6 of 14, 213 through the air and three scores. Trevor Connor uh, catching two of those touchdowns for 69 yards. And then for the Tigers, Stephen Keeler is unreal. 191 yards rushing in a score, 119 yards passing, four touchdowns. Uh, Phineas Ujaya, 33-yard receiving touchdown. And Stephen's brother, Damon, seven tackles in this ballgame. Bobby, you were at this one. It looked like a back-and-forth battle. Tell us a little bit about it. It was. Oh, uh, you know, before I talked to Coach Dotson, he was on the sidelines, and we're the we're best people out there. Yes, and we're glad he's out on the sidelines. He's had a few little health issues, but I think he's going to be good. So keep him in your prayers if you can. Groom and St. Joe. Wow, that was a game. It was back and forth, back and forth. Groom really wanted to make sure that they stopped number 20, Logan Bronner. And I'll tell you something about Logan Bronner. He comes out, he's kind of an unassuming kid. And then when he steps on the football field, he does some things that I've never seen before. And that's saying a lot. He does something with his head and his hips to fake defenders out. I I don't know how you defend that. I, I just don't know because you're going, he's going one way, one second. And the next second, he's completely on the other side of the field going the other way. and. You're just like, how in the world did he get over there? I mean, at one point I sat my camera down and just watched because it was, it was just such a fascinating thing to watch. Wow. That, that is impressive there for the Panthers. Now, Stephen Keeler, I will tell you this, that groom, mighty tiger. Let me tell you, he does it all. He kicks, he throws, he runs, he tackles, he blocks. I mean, there's nothing on the football field that that kid did not do. Rumor has it he also sells tickets before the game and uh, help Coach Dodson clean up the stands after it. You know what? I, I believe it. And I told him that last yesterday after the game. Uh, such a great, great matchup. I told him, I said, dude, I've never seen anyone do as much as you do on the football field. Just just keep doing it. And you know, he's he's a junior. Right. He's a junior. And there's several of those Keelers on the Groom Tigers team. Well, you know, now Groom is a little bit like Nazareth. There's only nine or ten last names in the town, so it's going to kind of happen. Uh, well, you're you're right, <laughs> but but it seems like there's a lot, awful lot of them on that team, and they all do a really good job. So we haven't talked about Groom much this year, but don't count them out. Don't count them out. And St. Joe over there in Region Three, they play well together. They're bruisers. You know, I'm not used to seeing Region Three play defense like that. Uh, you know, that's usually reserved for West Texas teams, just, you know, the general idea or standard everyone thinks, but, you know, then you got May and Jonesboro over there proving me wrong, (laughs) but St. Joe's picked up a little bit of that uh, defensive agility. And I was very excited to see them play and I did not leave disappointed. It was a great game. Love to see that. So St. Joe's uh, takes out Groom 62 to 48. A game for number nine that surprised me, and and maybe we're overlooking Cherokee a little bit. Richmond Springs defeats Cherokee 92 to 70. I didn't expect this game to be that close, and uh, that says something to me about the Indians there at Cherokee. Uh, in this ball game for Richmond Springs, Zane Caps 21 carries, 285 yards, six touchdowns. 
seven and a half tackles, and had an interception in the ball game. Jaden Bryan, 121 yards through the air and three scores. He also ran the ball 95 yards and two more touchdowns. And Cohen Tharp is a favorite receiver there, 74 yards receiving and two scores. For the Indians, Joel Valdez. I want you to listen to this stat here. They must have been watching Fort Worth Covenant Classical and how they played Richland Springs. Valdez goes 27 of 46 for 459 yards and six touchdowns. His favorite receiver, Gunner Baugh. Now, whether he's related to Sammy Baugh, I don't know, but he was on the receiving end. 255 receiving yards and three touchdowns in this game. I actually listened to that on the way back from that Garden City game. I, I finally found it on the Richland Springs app. And they go live every week, and they have a, a female there that broadcasts for them, and she does a fantastic job. But when I first got on, it was halftime, and Cherokee was ahead by one or two touchdowns, uh, which surprised me. And so I listened to that all the way back, and it, it was it was back and forth. And, and then after halftime, Richland Springs pretty much come out and said, yeah, we just had to come to Jesus meeting and we've adjusted. And, and now we're going to just go ahead and, and let's all score together, but we're going to score more. There you go. So Richland Springs over Cherokee 92 to 70. And then to round out the top 10 in division two, Gordon now back in the top 10, they defeat Bluffdale 54 to nothing. Let's take a look at some of the other games going around the area spur. No problem with Vernon Northside, Corey Hamilton, uh, uh, able to get back into the ball game some 98 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Also had a pick six. Lejean Walker, only two carries, 67 yards, both of those going to the house. And a big game that was going on in the Texas Panhandle, and and most people are going to hear the names go Miami and Headley and go, yeah, whatever. That, you know, that's <laughs> we don't know those names. But you got to realize Headley was 7-0 and coming into the ball game. Miami wins it. They score in the final minute of the game. They uh, defeat Headley 53-47. to 40, 47. Uh, we talked about Hayden Thompson, 110 yards on the ground, 206 passing and three touchdowns, 10 tackles and an interception. And uh, Luke Wheeler, 12 carries, 46 yards, three touchdowns, and 71 yards receiving. That was a back-and-forth game. And I'll be honest with you, I thought Miami would uh, dispose of Headley quicker than they did. So shout-out to the Owls. I, I think they uh, proved something in that ball game. It's going to be tough now for them to make the playoffs. But I think they proved something to the rest of the state that – they weren't quite just a pushover as many people thought. No, they're definitely not. This is the thing that I have heard here the last couple of weeks. Oh, these teams, they're undefeated, but you know, who have they played? Headley's played a pretty good schedule. So you can't really say that about the Headley Owls. It was really good to see that they stayed with Miami because, you know, that Hayden Thompson from Miami, he's quite something and he's only a sophomore. So he's only going to get better. And we, I believe that's who Coach Copley was talking about in our earlier conversation with him when he said he, they had to stop that kid from Miami. That would be him. <laughs> Uh, O'Donnell and Sands uh, had a great battle. O'Donnell, the Screaming Eagles, victorious 50-44. to 44. Juan Renteria, 15 carries, 240 yards on those 15 carries. Six touchdowns. Also had a 27-yard touchdown uh, and eight-and-a-half tackles. And Gage Garces there on the defensive side, 10 tackles for the Screaming Eagles and an interception. For Sands, Michael Diaz, 35 carries, 283 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, 33 passing yards. He completed three passes, all three of them for touchdowns. Caleb King on the end of two of those uh, for 83 yards receiving and also had six tackles. 
The Screaming Eagles seem to be in a battle every single week. They do, and I don't think that's that's necessarily a bad thing because they are preparing. They're preparing quietly for district, and you know they're in, they're in a tough, pretty tough district over there. Region one at district one, the game I had on uh, the Happy Sports Network, the Cowboys defeat White Deer sixty to fifteen. White Deer was only able to get twenty total plays in this ball game. Game ended just after halftime, fifty nine total yards. Holton Hill for White Deer, the uh, lone bright spot, had an 80-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. He found the uh, right side of the sidelines, and he was flat out gone. So a good play there for him. For the Cowboys, Camden Spree, 173 yards through the air and six touchdowns. Trice Johnson really stepping up for the Cowboys. 83 yards receiving, three touchdowns, three tackles, an interception, and a fumble recovery. Uh, Quay Hodges, 39 yards uh, through the air as well and two touchdowns. And Cutter Hodges, 13 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown. I thought that White Deer may play happy a little better than that. Kind of wanted to be at that game, but, you know, had other plans with Garden City going south, you know, and it was cold. So I kind of was happy to go south. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you weren't happy to come north. You were happy to go south. Yes. Uh, Was it cold in White Deer? It was uh, definitely chilly. Fortunately, the wind didn't blow. The temperature was in the 50s, but the wind, for the most part, just sat still. So for the Texas Panhandle, that is a huge victory. So Oh, definitely, because, <laughs> you know, if the wind's not blowing, something's obviously wrong. Yeah, no doubt there. Uh, so happy now with a big game coming up this week on Thursday night against Valley. In District 7, Roby and Hermley took battle in and nothing stopping the Cardinals and Coach Winters right now. They win that one 47 to nothing. Uh, Bubba Digby, 165 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. Uh, another three passing touchdowns. Patrick Carr, 56 uh, yards rushing and two scores. Stetson Digby, eight tackles, two tackles for loss, an interception, and a uh, forced fumble. I guess you just got to have the last name of Digby to have a really good game there for the Cardinals. Oh, Bubba. <laughs> Bubba's, Bubba's, I'd like to see how many touchdowns he's made this season because he has made a lot, uh, but he hasn't set a goal for himself. I believe is what coach winners had told me that uh, he wanted to make more touchdowns in a season than a previous player at Hermley. I can't remember who it was, but you know, that's a, that's a really good goal to have. And it seems like he might be on the way to, to breaking that goal. That it does. Uh, Region 3, District 11. I threw this one in here because the Blum Bobcats have had just a – it's been a rough season for them. Injuries have beset them. Uh, and But yet, here we get to District, and Blum comes out victorious, 64-45 to 45 over Covington. Lane Good, 145 yards rushing and three scores. Brandon Wilkins, 8 of 16 through the air for 160 yards and three touchdowns. And Coleman Moore caught four of those for 73 yards and two scores. For the Owls of Covington, Caden Dorsey, 20 carries, 221 yards, and a touchdown. He also had 11 and a half tackles in the ballgame. Gavin Lee, four, rush, uh, four rushes, 85 yards, and a touchdown there. Good to see Blum getting back in the winner's circle in that ballgame. Yes, it definitely is. That, that's more of the Blum that we think of. Uh, Knox City and Kroll doing battle. Knox City, the Greyhounds, they have really started to step up and uh, – Looking potent there in District 3. Tristan Baxter, 145 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Bryson Callaway, 103 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Ryan Shaver, uh, five receptions. Four of those go for a score in 78 yards. Knox City takes out Kroll, 76-28. to 28. 
Region 2 and District 8, the Bronx Longhorns, defeat Robert Lee 38-16 to in the Battle of Coca County. We'll get to that in just a second. For the Longhorns, Jaden Galvan, 168 yards rushing and a touchdown. Also uh, 63 yards passing and three more scores there. He also had nine tackles, two interceptions, and one of those was an 84-yard pick six. He was a little tired after the ball game. Jed Jackson, 16 carries for 75 yards, eight tackles, three tackles for loss. Uh, Parker Bearden, a 33-yard receiving touchdown. And I'm going to mess this up. Tegan Moneris, 12 tackles in the game. Bront wins that one, 38-16. to But I didn't realize this till you left us the note. This is the longest-running football series at, what, would you say 106 years? Yes, this is their 106th meeting. You and I are old, and that's older than us. Uh, oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I prefer older. Oh, older. that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes. But Bronx win last night evened up the series. That was the first time Bront had beaten Robert Lee since switching to six man. And they switched in from 11 man to six man in 2018. So the overall record of this matchup, the Coke County Championship, is 51, 51, and four. Wow. Robert Lee still leads the series three to one uh, since they both are now in six man. Isn't that interesting? That, that is extremely interesting. 106th time that the teams have played, and they are now 51, 51, and four. I don't mm-hmm. think you could do that if you wanted to. No, no, I don't think so. Shoot, maybe somebody will be doing a podcast 100 years from now, and it'll be their 206th meeting, because, you know, they're not very far from each other over there in Coke County. Well, you know, they will keep on a playing. And then finally, we'll round things out. Borden County all over Meta, 66 to 16. Got to talk about the night for Rhett Kingston. 18 carries, 218 yards, not five, not six, not seven, eight rushing touchdowns for Kingston on the night as Borden County uh, gets back in the uh, the winning side of the tab there, 66 to 16. You know, his last name is Kingston. He's got those (laughs) Kingston magic legs is what I like to call them. Uh, And I hear that he is faster than Tommy Mack, which which we all know who Tommy Mack Kingston is, played for the Cowboys for a long time and was a really great player for them. And Rhett's just a sophomore, so expect to see a lot more from them. But it looks like Borden County, they they're getting into district. And remember what we've said, especially those last those first five weeks that were so incredibly difficult. We said, watch it. Just watch them. They're coming. So that's a look at week eight and uh, some stats and everything that we've got going around the uh, state from region one to region four. And Bobby, before we move on, one of the things I want to talk about is you were at the St. Joe groom game and I did not realize this until you brought it up. So I'm gonna let you talk about it a little bit. St. Joe's kicker is a girl. Yes, woman. Yes. I don't know. I, I don't know which one is the correct terminology for someone in high school. But Kyler Dunn does the kicking, and she was five of six on uh, the extra points yesterday there in Chillicothe. She was. She was incredible. So I had asked about her, and um, I hadn't heard back from the coach yet. So I went and did a little research on my own, and I found out Kyler Dunn is playing for the Panthers, and she is a kicker. One thing I learned when I researched is that she is on a select soccer team in Dallas. Obviously, she's played since she could walk, 
if she's such a, I mean, she's a great soccer player. So come on, if you were a football coach and you needed a kicker and you had nobody who could kick and there was a girl right there who was wonderful at soccer and she had really good control of her foot, don't you think you'd give her a shot? Oh, most, most definitely. And, you know, it's funny because when you talk about six men and kickers, the door is probably open for female kickers as much as it is anywhere because they are so important to what you do in six-man football. Well, yes. And, you know, I think someone who really opened the door was the female kicker from Strawn in the state game. I mean, she scored as many points as the whole team, I believe. Uh, she was an excellent kicker. So not only does St. Joe have a female kicker, Groom has one. Her name's Erica Homer, and Coach Dodson told me she's a JV kicker. I think she's a freshman, so she'll she'll move up into varsity, I'm sure, and hopefully get that foot going. And then also Will Dorado has a female kicker, and we saw her last Saturday when Will Dorado and Chillicothe met in Claude. Her name is Giselle Esparza. She's number 23, so look for her. She has some really cool pink kicking shoes, too. I love that. When we talk about uh, players, something else we want to bring up is who the player is from Medina. He's an exchange student from Thailand who's nicknamed Dragon. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, Stephen went down and he said that he called me and he said, I just have to tell you a funny story. But you know, as a broadcaster yourself, Craig, when you look at the roster and you can't spell a name, much less say it, you tend to go to someone from that town and ask. So Stephen asked the person in the, in the press box from Medina, how do, you, how do you say this name? And so they said, oh, he probably won't see the field. We're having a hard time communicating with him because he's from Thailand. The kids decided that since they couldn't say his name, even when he said it out loud to them, that they would just call him Dragon. <laughs> And, you know, that is how great nicknames are birthed. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. But, you know, that matchup between Medina and Lakey, you know, they're not far from each other down there in the hill country. And 2011 was the last time Medina had beaten Lakey in football. Now, some of the time from now to since, you know, since 2011, uh, Medina was six man and then Lakey was 11 man. But since uh, Lakey has come down to six man, Lakey has won the last five games between them. Well, that changed Friday night when Medina beat Lakey in a grand fashion. From what I understand, it was in the final seconds of the game. Yeah, no, you, that was a grand game. Medina wins that ball game 60 to 56. Yes, crazy game. Steven said that. Um, Last few seconds, they run. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. The hook and ladder. Woohoo! Now, yes. did they sit on the sidelines like in Varsity Blues and, <laughs> and you know? <laughs> no, but Steven said he was shocked because Medina actually ran it in the first quarter, and it worked, and they, they got a touchdown out of it. And he thought, my goodness, they just ran the hook and ladder. And this man's going old school. And so they ran it that last play of the game to go ahead. And it got them down to the 30-yard line of Lakey. And they were able to punch it in for their final TD and win the game. And it was on their homecoming. So, you know, that was very special. 
I also understand that the coach was so excited. The Medina coach was so excited after that win that he ran up into the stands and ran up and down and the stands went crazy. And Stephen had his buddy with him who had never been to a six man game. We've talked about this. Yes. And he said there could have been no other game as good as this game for him to attend his first time to a six man game. And he said that he talked about it all weekend. He even compared it to an awesome college game with 70,000 people. Wow. And and Stephen said he was still talking about it today when they parted ways for Stephen to drive back to the panhandle. So that's exciting. I think we got another convert. Hopefully he'll go to another six man game. That's as good as the one he went to his first time. Definitely. And in that, that's, you know, that's so important. If you got somebody who wants to come to a six man game, make sure you take them to a good one yes. because then they will get hooked on it. You don't want to take them to one of those that ends up being 66 to nothing where one team is just definitely that much better than the other one. Uh, that that's, I think where people get the bad name for six man football, take them to a game that you know, is going to be competitive. That'll hook them every single time. Definitely. It will. And, um, I, I love to look for games like that. For example, I guess, you know, this is a good lead in to talking about the good matchups this next week. I mean, a good one. If you know someone who's never been to a six man game, take them to Sterling city because Westbrook's coming to town and that's going to be an exciting game. That will be an exceptional game between uh, two teams that are now going to be ranked in the top 10. If you can't make it there, Go check out Hermley and Road 10. That's uh, guaranteed to be a good game as well. Like we talked about last week, it could end up being a, just a crazy triangle of, of goodness before the playoffs. That it could be. Or you can bring them to the panhandle. I think Happy Valley on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, that should be a good game as well. Those teams rank number 12 and number 13 uh, heading into that matchup. So take your best friend who's never seen six man to a good game and they will want to come back all the time. That's true. That's true. They'll be looking for them then. They will. Well, speaking of good games, and that's how we'll close out the show, let's talk about Lehman's six-man 101 and the 1994 quarterfinal where Balmeray defeats Guthrie 71-70 to on a kickoff return. Isn't that crazy? I love this story. So we're going to start off with a bang with a quote from Chris Gove from the Odessa American. He says, they don't have endings like this in movies. It would be too unbelievable. (laughs) I think a solid case could be made that 1994 was the best year for six man football in the state of Texas. Super competitive throughout first real year, the Huntress report and rankings, a great state championship and the underdog winning and some instant classic great games with this game probably topping the list. The undefeated number one ranked Guthrie Jaguars were riding high, coming off a win from behind over Laz Buddy when they faced off with Balmeray and Stanton for their quarterfinal showdown. Guthrie would have just nine players in uniforms, two of their 11 suffering injuries the week before, while Balmeray would have 17 players suited out. The game was close and hard fought throughout. Guthrie led 22 to eight at the end of the first quarter with Balmeray's offense waking up in the second 
held a slim 42 to 30 lead at halftime. Balmeray found their wind in the second half and entering the third quarter, cut the Jaguar lead down to five, trailing 56-51 by the end of the third. Shortly after the start of the final quarter, the Bears took their first lead going up 59-56 and extending it to 65-56 with 4.55 left in the game. Guthrie did not give up. With 2.23 on the clock, Guthrie cut the lead down to 65-62, and then their defense came up with the biggest play of the game at that point. When on the Bears' ensuing possession and facing a fourth and four, stopped Balmeray two yards short of the first down marker for a turnover on downs and a chance to win the game with 55 seconds left. Sure enough, Seth Morehouse hauled in a 31-yard pass for Roy Fuentes with Fuentes adding the PAT, giving Guthrie a 70-65 lead with almost no time left for Balmeray to manage a miracle. Almost no time. With 11 seconds left to play and Guthrie beaming with the likelihood of advancing one step closer to a state title berth, the Jaguars booted the kickoff deep just short of making it to the end zone. Balmeray's Martin Sanchez settled under it and returned the kickoff 78 yards for the game-winning touchdown as time expired. That turn of events in the last 11 seconds stuck in the mind of many coaches. And from that point on, Many elected to kick onside rather than risking the chance of a big kickoff return and possibly suffering the same fate that Guthrie did back in 1994. What an unbelievable game. How would you like to have been in the stands for that ball game? And you're a Guthrie fan, just like the players going, we're 11 seconds from moving on to the state semifinals to watch the Bears take it back 78 yards for the score. I've heard a lot of parents like heart attack city or they're giving us the heart attack or I can't remember the saying, but yes, that would be a true heart attack for those fans in the stands. I mean, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. And then, oh, yeah. Highest high to the lowest low in about two minutes. Yeah. About the time it took for them to score, kick the uh, two point PAT and get ready for the kickoff. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't even take that long. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of for their heart to take. (laughs) (laughs) That it is. So that was a great uh, game there. 1994 Balmeray defeats Guthrie 71 to 70 on a walk-off kickoff return, which, you know, leads me to another thing. As much as safety is in kickoffs these days, Bobby, I am still amazed that we allow the onside kick the way we do in six man football that is a bloody battle down there. Oh, it is. I saw several people almost get their heads knocked off yesterday between St. Joe and Groom. I mean, it is brutal down there on those onside kicks. Definitely. If you are on the front line receiving, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not. And, and, you know, I'm right there like four or five feet off the sideline. And usually it happens right in front of me. The sounds, I mean... <laughs> the sweat flying, the sounds, it's just, it's crunching. And, you know, maybe me, I love those kinds of sounds, but sometimes it gets a little overwhelming, especially when you see the ball flopping around out there and you don't know who's going to come up with it. Well, just remember this, Bobby, 
we don't play real football in six man. So I, I don't know what sound you think you're hearing there, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I will argue until the cows come home with anyone who says six man isn't real football. I, uh, I'm behind you 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and I both know that some of these kids never come off the field. No, they do not. And it, it like they say, play they, the whole time. They play the whole time. And that, that whole kickoff thing just, it, it amazes me every time I watch it. It is, like I say, it is not for the faint of heart to stand there and receive that kick because the biggest player from the other team or the meanest is bearing <laughs> down on you. And he has one goal in mind. And that is to separate you from the ball with whatever means are necessary. That's right. He's definitely bearing down on you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think that would probably have been me if I could have played football. <laughs> <laughs> that game, Balmerie and Guthrie, you can go watch it on Six Man Films. We do have a link up on the Backroads podcast page. It's at 1afan.com. Just click on Backroads podcast. We've also put some pictures up of the groom girl kicker and the St. Joe player who kicks for them. I got a picture of both of them just smiling as big as could be. Every time we talk about something and I can get a link or a video or a picture, I'm going to put it out there. So, so you can kind of see what we're talking about. As we get out of here, Bobby, you, you mentioned kickers real quick. Uh, you know, prayers go out to Christian Osagura. He's the young man from white deer in week four, kicked the 53 yard field goal against spur. The following week, I was doing the Spring Lake Earth White Deer game for you. He got tangled up in a point-after kick by Spring Lake Earth on the defensive side. And it's just one of those things. You know how it is. The two-point conversion is almost one or two kids come flying in. And for the most part, it's a pretty – not much happens up front otherwise. That wasn't the case. He got tangled up, ended up tearing his ACL, his MCL, and his LCL. Uh, so now the uh, family, uh, you know, Christian faces surgery. The family can't really afford the surgery. So uh, if you're so inclined to help out the Osagura family there in White Deer, they, the White Deer community has started up a GoFundMe page. Just go to GoFundMe.com, type in Osagura, O-S-E-G-U-E-R-A. You know, I can put a link out on our podcast website as well. That way you can just go there and click if you'd like to donate. I mean, I don't know that there's anything left in that kid's knee to tear if, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a horrible injury. It, it is a horrible injury to a kid who could just flat out kick. I mean, this wasn't 53 yards and he kicked it, you know, and it just happened to go over. I watched this kid in warm up. He can flat out kick. Rucker has sent me so many videos of him in practice hitting 65 and 70 yard field goals. I mean, like nothing, just one step, a one stepper. Wasn't even three steps, just one. I mean, he was incredible. So um, if you'd like to help out, I'll put that link out on the website. That would be excellent. Well, Bobby, that's going to wrap it up for some good games coming up in week nine. Hard to play party week nine. Uh, we're getting deep into district play already. Uh, we'll be back on next Sunday. We'll give you all the news notes. We'll have a coaching interview and uh, who knows what else we might bring up for you. We had girls and kickers this this week. Who knows what we got in plan for you next week. But until then, I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressFastSports.com. I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful week nine. 